Welcome to... It's not a rod! It's an... Articulate Warbling. Hosted by Zach Ferguson. Edited and produced at Badgerstrift Studio. If you enjoyed this podcast, please contact us at pgttcm.com so we can make more. And let us know. We would love to make more of this show for you. And here he is, Zach Ferguson. Hello ladies and gentlemen, it's come so quickly, the 10th episode of Articulate Warbling. Today is going to be a very long and very special episode. I am an experimentalist. A lot of people will call me a writer or an author, but I consider myself an experimentalist. And I think my whole life has culminated and has always progressively moved forward toward the, the, that very abstract most opaque, uh, almost ethereal light known as experimentalism. And I started writing an article titled Autism is Art, Art is Autism, then I flipped it around to Art is Autism, Autism is Art, talking about my relationship with experimental fiction, and fiction in general, and that of which I feel as experimental schisms, machinations, and subliminal devices that one could easily uh, misconstrue or imbue as experimental art and it has currently just uh, formed and metamorphosized into something rather big and special. It's a non-fiction book, it's not even a memoir, it's not pseudo-memoir, it's just about the correlation between art and autism, what it is to be autistic and what uh, art means to me, not just sectored in up on the literary Realm. I will be covering films, uh, art and video, uh, art pieces in question, but it is though heavily uh, founded upon my relationship with it. And today I really would like to share with you uh, some of what I have written. So let's start the show with Art Equals Autism. I am not an author nor a writer, I am an experimentalist. I experiment with prose, literature, film, digital collage, images. I even experiment with social situations and linear experiences. Though these linear experiences are experiments with social climate centred and pitted and evolved and devolved and perpetuated by online personalities and generally the clashing of arseholes, lived through and shallow, shallowly communicated and truthfully communicated through the online strata of supposed real, real, real life experiences on social media platforms. Why am I the way that I am? Why am I easily best described as an experimentalist, not just as an artist, but also as a human being? Because that is who I am and what enables me to go on living. It is my ability to look at the world askance and corroborate it into some form, to craft an experience beheld by myself and filtered, or most often exacerbatedly expanded upon, in my appropriation of wordplay and experimentalism within the arts of literature, to show you how it is to live with this mind that is too fast, too complicated, party to an ever-rushing world of senses, illusions and delusions and lies and deceitfulness in action scenarios, socially, physically, mentally, that it's an overly stymied, conflicting hodgepodge of realities, expectations, social niceties and readings that are warped or misread or mistreated by the addition of my mental health issues, my issues with anxiety and intrusive thoughts, a whole big molasses of subjects, feelings, readings, interpretations. It is a world of too much going on, even when there seems not to be any evidence of anything artificially going on or externally. It is an overly sensitised world where everything is an assault and a bashing and contained within these experiences is a hunger to pick at it, survey it, rationalise it, make it conform to my reality as the real world is not reality, not any longer. 
The greatest reality is that you can take from a supposed viewpoint of your linear time. A delusion, and fashion it as it suits you. It may overall confuse the topic or issue, or it may just put it to bed, based upon how it was put onto page, or perceived, received, and offered on out, whether a, a vocal rant, or one usually motivated by internal screams, or some form of recognition to be isotopically picked up on and ran with, instead of the hive of flurries of all these confusing and amalgamated emotions thrust into and onto you. That they are emotions, they are as alien as they will ever be, whether I accept some on a good or I don't on a bad day. Human emotion is a toxic thing in my eyes and can only be made real and perceived as real by crafting fictional interludes and segmentations to home in, honour, exemplify, reach, stretch on out tentatively, desperately, clawing away at these folds of time, influence and conjecture. Isolate it, contain the uncontainable, hone in on something specific to a situation that has confused, angered or just baffled me as a high functioning, though that is still up for acute and hyperbolic analysis autistic male, to give it a, a reason and edge, a standing in my eyes and then fussing my execution of it, it gives itself as a peace, holy and all encompassing to the reader of whom are there to try and, and who are of whom are there to try to decipher it, or enjoy it, or bond with it, with the words and scenarios and narrative threads I've offered onto them, for themselves to imbue or mis misinterpret as they wish. People, actions, motions, events, that world over, mostly humans, that aspect, that species, that I'm a part of and I wish I was not, that self-perpetuating evil entitled species with layers up and layers up and layers up and layers, and these layers are not as transparent as you'd think, not for me, but we, even us, the autistic minded are expected to see them and to react to them within macroseconds to a meeting, to a shaking, to an inclination you're coming to some form of social interaction with stranger or one close even to heart or home. It all confuses me, but it also excites me, makes me laugh, cry, it makes me feel. And that's when I feel human in a sense. When writing and surveying, and making sense of a pretty much nonsensical world and non-reality we are all living. The old saying that we are living a lie couldn't be truer than in the times we are faced with now, and specifically that we are existing within. But the processes to reach these cumulative affirmed feelings, what they are, why they are, is an extremely long and hard one, and one I often, I can never reach, but I don't know, I, I just don't, I don't know, but I don't grow grief as much as I used to, because writing about it is my overall saviour. I explore and play and toy and evaluate from my schism of writing, proffering a different viewpoint or a viewpoint I expect is needed. I take meta-textuality and meta-criticism to use their life form as part of a cultural generation runoff of trends and materialism and non-realities or assumed realities and I make them subject to criticism through deconstruction, through petulant stylings and grammatical typographical lunacy and absolute disregard for one's and many a million sense of position and rightfulness and what is expected of fiction and especially of fiction coming from a mentally unstable developmentally challenged man I say developmentally in quotation marks I don't feel like I'm developmentally challenged or afflicted nor feel like I am developmentally at a disadvantage nor and especially as it is not easily one that can be identified as being a disorder I don't feel I have a disorder either. There are so many unknowns that exist, and there, <laughs> there are so many things that exist out there about this condition, this thing, but it won't be helped by doctors and professors who don't have it. I think it won't be anything anyone can feel or know unless they have it. It's something, it's a hindrance, it does effect affect myself, my circumstances, and social positioning in life, and it doesn't take anything away from me. As I am of the belief, finally and truthfully, my autism is a fool and total me, I don't feel lesser intellectually. I feel a lot of the time on some, some high levels of perception and viewing a plane of existence and conception, layered them over our own, seeing minute things others don't. And in that exposure there is a frustration that they do not see it or compute it in such a way as I do myself. Yes, it sure does scare me. It scares me and thus ensues confusion and breakdown, an autistic episode. But these are born from a variant of things, often accused as being childish, petty, simplistic. But to our hearts and minds as autistic people, they are not. These things are what make us, well, us. These things are what make us. 
These little moments are what builds and structures our world and make us of whom we are or are slowly growing into or out to. Because it is not processed or converted normally as the usual processes that allow the human species mentally able to do. We see things and feel things differently and when we are, and this is a known truth, expected, whether intentionally or not, we struggle because we feel and see so much more to a sentence, a scenario or behaviour. You would never contemplate or have a chance to read into onto the levels that we do as autistic individuals. It is intrusive and plaguing, but the after effect can be funny, in hindsight it can be lectured upon, studied and rationalised, but only by ourselves and those with it, not fucking professors and supposed specialist nurse practitioners who work off of a guidebook, a handbook that can easily sit in their sweaty pockets. I understand the mental side of things, as being autistic does allow you to see and feel unlike anybody else, and it is heightened and terrifying. But overall, when captured and made positive, as I try to do in my writing, you see nothing but a gift that keeps on giving, giving off ripples, ripples, stretches, moods born of a negative, to bug my day-to-day life, my conception and perception and all the exception, exception and all things of exceptions at the end of it, though in the end it is all worthwhile because I can access it differently and process it, soak it in, accentuate it, bow-rain it, expose it and explore with my writing. I view the world as an experimentalist and as an outsider because that is what I am. To make reality of what I believe all our lives in this current generation is an unreality into some form of reality, whether fictional or not. It's truer and better than we are when the one than the one we are stuck in. But If you must need something to take alongside writer, okay, I am an experimental writer. I am an author of experimental fiction. It can kill a career or it can send it soar into the skies. It is difficult to circumnavigate these labels, these personifications, these tags that are necessary to put onto your books. To thus ensure it reaches the right target, audience, market, etc. Pa blah, pa to the blah blah fucking blah. To sell your book, to warn, to entice, to taunt, to allure, to tempt, to toy. Labelling something in society and culture isn't a new thing, but it is something that's a great weight of concrete solidity and affirmation, and something that seems to concretise who we are and should forevermore be subjected to as an individual and as being appreciated as or as seen as. A writer. Maybe one of whom has been gentrified, has been upped in the esteemable position of world-renowned author. But dare we not even communicate this or share this darn thought? That not only is this person, man, woman, gender-fluid individual writer, or form more respected in title, author, but a world-renowned artist. Oh please, do not add that astoundingly self-flagellating E. No, do not do that. Oh, fucking do it, you fool. A world-wide-renowned artiste. A world-renowned artiste, an artiste, as something else, something greater than a mere entertainer, but a literary prosaic god. The pillar, or one of millions, to the high-vaulted ceiling of the literary elite club, of whom has devolved into being not merely an author or an artist at the E, but a literary voice, of whom has, res- who has, whom has disrespected the elite. The literary elite club. <laughs> The elite is so nestled in amongst by playing and exploring and not upholding the literary elite's mantle, meaning, purpose and media image can often break them or make them and due to all latterly associated supposed positive garnered through this author, artiste, entertainer's decisions to play a little, to experiment, in quotation marks, it is accepted as part and parcel of their evolution that or they can easily be accused of weighing in on the supposed privilege of earning enough as a world-renowned whatever the fuck you want to call him, her or them and going out on a whim to try stretch, try evolve or to test their limits within this infrastructure of rules, regularities, politics, media obsessed quotations and number crushing in sales and demographics that would make an American Express accountant shiver in his pre-sexual frustration for they couldn't nor would dream of getting so close to that pre-cum ecstasy all great graphs and the fisher stuff make them feel and all its goosebumpy thrills and quavering in anticipation and contemplation in fantasy potentials. 
It listlessly prattles on, going on at a voracious speed, slowing down, only to ratchet it up again. Words upon words upon words, words that are not meant to be together, words spoken out and loud, that just do not fit, do not match, that do not need to be paired. A conglomeration of everything you were taught in school, like the good little boys and girls following the literary rule book 101 was bad and just shameful and it's disrespectful and sophistication that the written and even the spoken word are upheld and basked in the presence of. Fuck that for a laugh, or some form of settlement within oneself to make them feel they have satiated the hierarchical rule, and added to something that is just bollocks and has no meaning outside of the academia-minded and so-called I so want to be part of it litany, who uphold this rule in infatuation with the written words purity in class. Let's just cruise on over, feel the speed bumps rolling over with extra accelerant and speed, fucking up whatever physical or mobile thing you feel best personifies this rather terribly construed stream of consciousness. It's how often in interviews and debates and talks from many authors are best described. I feel it's a likeable notion, a comforting place, whereas when you say it is a stream of your subconscious, there is a manner and a revolt against that type of thought and the deep connotations. But, like Will Self has said in a recent interview when talking about Umbrella, Shark and Phone, these types of novels are highly structured. But to be able to conceal these superficial word streams, it is technically quite hard. Of which I must agree, experimenting with prose isn't centred or based purely on a conscious projectile of antidotes, segmentations and what looks to be rancid ravings and ravings of a tempered artiste. As reactionary as they are, or sometimes unfairly judged as being, they are consciously allowing to let go and unleash that thing that you may feel has burrowed ever so deeply into the abyss of your consciousness. Allah, your subconscious. It still needs to conform to some basic minor illusionary system of prose writing on all the writers 101 simplistic, though for me alienating and arcane rule. This segment is called Self Equals Success. Will Self is a genius when it comes to subverting expectations, subverting what one is initially imposed to believe or feel he is hinting or hitting upon in his works. He has made the modern novel a place of various potentialities. His stuff is dense, intellectually stimulating, peculiar and singularly his own. He, like most great experimentalists, cruises on this notion, this reality, but doesn't wear it down or objectify it or vilify it to make himself look approximately as if he is or was listening to what the audience and critics think or trying to settle in to fit accordingly nor does he go out half naked screaming look at me or look, look how experimental i am though will self does not sound like that at all in his works and his vice though subliminally he is doing that but far more articulately enough in intellectually than any other writer especially when it comes to being an experimentalist novelist has done and you can just see me adding that has done, because I realised whilst reading this, I did not put it in. His prose scenes, it's sometimes as much in common with the likes of Nicola Barker's voice and works, where they take you into various dimensions and places that one does not expect they could enter a journey through, and only opened up by the smallest of details that us writers love to take a hold of and just run with until we have worn it out. Not for ourselves, necessarily, but just... But you get my gist? But it is open so wide and then imbued with so much thought analysis. It takes flight and you're left dislocated from the initial narrative flow they have taken you on. And we're returning to the narrative thread of characters' conscious happenings and the overall narration. You're left feeling rather perplexed and also in confusion of what was it in aid of. If it wasn't, then where was he or she going? What were they intending to bloody well do? What is she telling me? What is he showing me? What is he slash she illuminating? Or was it just a moment of overt self-indulgence? Again, it is all of those things, and so far great of having been able to have these questions of vague and impossible answers that not even the writers most often can attest to understand him. But there is rare genius in being able to fire off sparks and create new pathways of thought, and the communication between the written word and art itself into such deep levels of astute observation and imagination, also so potent and omnipotent to have us so engaged, have us so inclined to try and pick apart or study something that was probably just a minor or explosive tangent from the thread, because the art dictated as much, where it is felt, witness going off in facades and escapades because it would broaden not the narrative but the impetus and intention behind the intermaterially and metatextual orchestration a lot of writers specifically alternative transgressive unconventional experimental novelists do experimental novelists is about setting out an effect a e f f e c t 
a sense, a feeling, an emotion predicated upon execution and not simplistic narrative threads and storylines and the way they are oh so eloquently put together. It is boring. I find that the most emotional effective ways I have conveyed to my audience is by messing with typography, with the formation of words on the page, with narration, with character perspectives and their vantage points, with alternating continuity and non-linear and narrative time frames and non-time frames. Will Self is less known for doing this. His skill is making the easily assumed customary state of affairs from getting a sense of telling a story, not so much inverting random sporadic images or images born from word arrangement or disarrangement on the page, but even though his prose can easily be derided and misinterpreted as traditionalist, especially within certain short stories or long-form stories he has released, he has a strange and certain way of making even the most mundane, most traditional storytelling devices uniquely his own. It's his way with words and the officially termed and viewed mismanagement and lining up of words verbs, adverbs, nouns, where they shouldn't be, but they do, in his ingenuity of realignment, and through this mismanagement comes a uniquely solid, skewered perspective in nature that is naturalistic and not something that is done purely for aesthetical reasons. His way with prose, with conscious swaths of intrusivity, isn't captured by playful techniques applied in the edit or in its grammar slash typographical structures, but in the nature of words, lines, sentences, and how they flow. Lyrical, without that sense of trying to be lyrical, it's natural and almost portentous in its traditionalisms and the subversions he applies to his structure. The narrative transitions, the beat, the thrum, the wordiness of it all, pushing his characters and his overall pattern of telling stories of vague abstract words. Words one has never happened across. You sense Will saying so much when he is saying very little. And when he's saying very little in a scene, a chapter, a moment of character beat, he is saying a lot. Whereas recently Nicola Barker has been creating a similar sense of innovation and playfulness, but an application of editorial anarchy and messiness, whether it is a conscious stream or subconscious stream, than what she has or has done or had done in her early works and achieved. And those works share much in common with self's mastery of words and setting and mood and intent and the works that she is currently writing now does. There is a greater sense of achievement by making one feel something by ways that perhaps you yourself hadn't anticipated or deliberately set out to do or achieve. Perhaps by writerly executions or by formation on page or the mismanagement of words that need not have a process behind them or a history and a certain oppressive standard behind them. These intentions, these truthful exclamations can be ever so life altering compared to a story told linearly and within the box. The box that most writers are writers are assigned to or assign themselves to to be part of the status quo and run of things just to feel closer in a certain aspect though to be honest the more you do that the closer you want to nuzzle in the more you will grow aggrieved and feel trapped and won't ever want to leave and then fast so far to that point you haven't created all you have done is neutered yourself and you have just fed in this little click that need no more expansion and encouragement but needs a trampling or a burning down there are other writers who themselves would admit truthfully that they had not intended for that, that scene, that moment, that line, that paragraph, that beat, to come across as this or that way. That one way that maybe a person or ten people had read it as or perceived it as and emotionally connected with it in similar marked ways, only in agreement to the similar experiences they had reading the book or a certain part of the book in question. It makes it that much more exhilarating. When my debut novel, Eat Your Keyboard, was released, it garnered a lot of compliments, but simultaneously they didn't perceive it or resonate with it on the dense levels I had hoped. They were mostly reviewing it positively because they were at an impasse with themselves and the book in question. Those reviews I felt were positive, mainly all because they were not engaged with it in the way I had hoped some readers would. And instead of being honest and admitting they didn't get it or didn't like it or, could comp or they could comprehend it, I perhaps felt like they are missing out on something and didn't want to be seen as anything less than what they were offering to the social media world of themselves and how they wanted to be seen. That or they didn't like it at all. Maybe even loathed it. But assumed a lot of others viewed it as high art. See, so he heaped up a load of appraisals whilst the whole book, its whole meaning, is lost upon them. And those reactions really invalidated my process and want for the book to live on as. There are a lot of disingenuous people, so I can't apologise for being a pessimistic gift. I am optimistically, pessimistically a realist with a dash of nihilistic tendencies for added, for added cinnamon flavouring. I didn't want rave reviews or five star ratings on Goodreads or Amazon. Aesthetic emotionally was the emotion I wanted, aesthetically and emotionally. I wanted to create a piece of art that makes you feel and think, not up of the character arcs and disparate stories contained within. It was an experiment. It was me working as fluidly and naturally as I could. I wrote it in two weeks, but felt I'd been waiting almost my entire life to create something, like I eventually did do with each keyboard. 
an autistic experience, a real wallop, an affecting blow to your sense of place and your interrelationships with literature. And then one person, the producer of this show you're listening to, D.B. Spitzer, now a dear friend of mine, collaborator, who is working on a design level, an intermaterial level on the system compendium, which will be collecting your keyboard, destroy your keyboard, and disgorge your keyboard as a huge 1,000-page compendium. He reviews it and truly introduced me to new avenues of study in relation to my book, the Dadaists, and offered me insights I myself had never seen or felt or knew I had lurked inside of me. It was DB's review that had unearthed something that had been lying dormant in wait. It had been lying dormant in wait until somebody picked up on it. All for me to feel a sense of pride and an elevated ego where I go, yep, I intended that, whereas I probably didn't. But this one person in question saw in it is in line with what I wanted to achieve, if not more, and to make you feel as such by his engagement and reaction, not born not from the codex of words and the sequencing and of them being put together and composed upon dialogue and insert moment to shock reader here and all those dullard ways to assume motive and emotion, but by seeing something contained within it, something that I myself had not seen. It really, it is really an amazing feeling, a real sense of achievement when somebody offers something to that of which you're so intimately involved with. It's refreshing and keeps you on a certain purposeful stride. It lights a fire beneath you and sees you running. And it validates something for me. That by creating emotion through wordplay, word destruction, word desolation, that it is capable of doing this without you feeling the need to pull back onto all those bylaws put in place when growing up and whilst you were forced into the education system. Experimental literature is to break into something molecularly. Events, cultures, social issues, vital issues, our current climate, societally, universally. By creating something differently from the rest, the tone, intention and purpose will be given over. Maybe not in the moment, but perhaps years down there. Down the line. <clears throat> or later on that evening, perhaps. And that for me is better than writing a love story that you can see from 16 chapters away what will unfold and happen. But you know... You will end up crying, no matter, <laughs> no matter that you had already had a vague sense that, that that was where the story was going anyway. There's a great frustration when it comes to trying to get a point across when that point is best described as being vague and distant as it already is. But to probe your mind, to see how certain works by certain authors can initiate something within oneself, it is intimate, almost corruptive and invading. But you appreciate the writer for having done so with their art and how they can instigate something that will have your mind altered, your perspective shifted, having your whole world and conception of light and art in tandem, perhaps truly, truly and honestly change. And perhaps, maybe this is far more optimistic outlook to have, that you unlock that box. And for the first time, maybe ever, or in a while, you are free, awash with new notions, ideals, thoughts bubbling up, the perfume scent of a dash of red, red wine to saucy it all up a bit, wafting, spreading, warming you with its tingly central embrace you so missed and hadn't realised until that scent had been reawakened. And all born from and based upon how strange, how cerebral, how odd and how shattered a narrative or piece of work is and how it has affected you. It can change your life. The conversation equals art. Self is a hilarious, scathing, critical writer, his stuff full to the brim of insight, study and opinion, so full of commentary that even on the slightest and most simplistic and oddest of topics and objects that any normal person wouldn't even give thought to, let alone a second thought, or to allow themselves to allow their mind to wander so far and so strangely as self's own mind does. As writers we need these moments for them to evolve, for our writing skills to try and be pushed and altered and furthered. And this comes with this topic of a potential conversation between art and the artist. Not a conversation between, between stranger or fellow friend, or one you wish to have with someone as you gather enough opinion and a unique enough angle that when this conversation could be, you know, could be had someday randomly, that you have the upper hand upon it, but one we do have on various different levels, simultaneously and in unison. Tears upon tears of questions, answers, interpretations. The subject, that piece in your line of sight or in your internal vision, open, ready for an imbuement, an assessment to be written upon, but surveyed and conveyed differently and subversively. But this is a conversation one has with themselves, and it is multiple conversations whilst all pertaining to the same subject, topic, object, person, with all this discussion amassed between writer and the piece in question, and all things generated by the continual flow and onrush that these deep discussions of artists and art have. That is the power of writing and writers. 
We are analysts of life, of what happens in and around us, and we try to imbue a sense of location of self in these inanimate objects or places, these geographically mapped out places and the correlation with us on a psychological <clears throat> level. And much of self shorts and long form pieces slash novels are always related or interwoven with his character of Dr. Zach Busner and his psychiatric system and that whole subculture and universe that he works within as a writer. Hey everyone, welcome back. Uh, this is me, D.B. Spitzer, the editor and producer of Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson. Just wanted to let you know that we're hoping to make this a full-time series and not just a backdoor pilot. So if you would like to help sponsor the show, or if you have anything that you'd be like wanting to donate to help the show keep going, let us know. PGTTCM.com and where you can reach Zach is in the show notes and also where you can buy his many books, Zach Ferguson, and you can check him out, of course, on Amazon.com, where he's got all kinds of wonderful books from Dimension Horse to what Mr. A level and deep unconscious one, too. Many can easily impart their opinion on knowledge, subjected to how much of self's work they have ingested, that he is a satirist, he is a political writer, that he is a humorist, that he is a modern neo-postmodernist, he is an anarchist, an infant terrible... He's this, he's that. Well, he is all of the above and the latter and so much more. His work is very specific. It has its overall agenda, in quotation marks, but it's not really working in tandem with that word and its definition, as it subverts that. But all authors have agendas. As an, as an experimental writer myself, it is my agenda, or how I best liken it to... It is my purpose to subvert, to confuse, to befuddle, to... Implement odd hallucinatory migraine-inducing sentences, paragraphs, chapters that will get under your skin, burrow into you somewhere, then unleash its toxin. Or it, it can just be an initial sting and you feel it come on over you. A lot of my stuff is very hard. An experimental book from a dislocated point of view is fractured, broken, deliberately de-evolved. The exterior of it as a piece of art is easily susceptible to corruption of opinion and misunderstanding. Many assume it is a niche. It is in a lot of ways, though no... Though, on a more mainstream commercial level, it is comparably niche and cultish, it truly isn't. As even now, to this day, I keep discovering more and more writers, authors, editors, presses dedicated to fiction that isn't given time nor place in the bookshelf space of your common corporate bookstore. <clears throat> the void equals raw and rare potential. There is a void, an emptiness that is usually filled in with books that, to their credit, publishers do fill, but with the same old tribe and cutty-cutter goods, never fuss realising actually they are signing on the dotted line to their eventual demise as a credible publication house slash press. The void leaves an open space, a piece of land per se, to have a well-intended but savvy-minded, perhaps more creatively inclined person of power and authority within the literary world and economy to fill up and imbue with a structure built up of material that isn't the expected or the norm. Build it up with the rebellious, the daring, the strange, the nihilist, the transgressive edged writers, as they deserve to be housed and showcased and bolstered and encouraged as much as people like E.L. James and all those simpleton reality stars whose books are put together not by themselves, all to showcase their personalities of which sells their books in of itself, all because of their name, not the content. All supported and encouraged and crafted, drafted by a boardroom of execs and TV people and PR mandatory minded autonomous drones wanting that sweet, sweet cash flow to keep coming crashing in on their doorsteps come the end of the year, or month, or week. No, it can't be every day, as they don't need any more room to conquer and distract you from that one book that may change something of yourself, that may make a change to your life and alter your perspective and relationship with reading books. They have had their successes. Why are they trying to shove hard-working, talented people out of the deserved spaces and bookshelves? All because it needs to be something they have ticked off their list of to do when being a major reality star come influencer. Yo, look at me. They already make far too much money, and they are taking away room exposure from people of whom are great writers who deserve some recognition because their books may alter your life, as I have mentioned already. But again, I must stress, a book can do that to you, as so many have done for me. And my continuing relationship with literature, especially experimental literature, has just been enhanced, more so than any old biography or reality stars, boardroom mandated release, ever will. 
Audiences, agents, publication houses are all feeding into this frenzied obsession with stardom, social media streamlines of supposed, supposed consciousness, and with it, its indoctrination of delusion and that want and need given over to our generation, where future wants are no longer to perhaps work towards becoming something outside of a social media god or goddess. I hardly come across people of whom want to work towards creating that or even given enough room or thought or contemplation towards perhaps even trying, let alone wanting to make films or draw or create any form of art. It's about becoming a name, the name a brand, to then fuss earn everything else a lot of people work towards earning. It's mandatory for all TV reality for all TV reality stars to get book deals, even if they are illiterate buffoons like Joey Essex, who has released two books. How the fuck? The most supposed reality of this ever unfolding unreality of success is to find it online, on YouTube, on blogs, on Instagram, for your posts, your looks, your vantage, to further you in others' eyes, to fill up your piggy banks. Seems people want to gravitate towards this glorified norm of being an online sensation, as it has been so to you that it is easy, that it is fun, that it is viable. And guess what, kids? That isn't true. It's not about becoming a writer any longer. Heck, half these stars have never probably even picked up a book in all their adult life or childhood. It's all about you and the light of your name and personality as previewed on television or online. Not your talent as a writer, but as an online influencer. And with it comes agents, contracts, to presses, to various TV studios and channels and corporations that would love, need your face to be the staple to their company. It is all about monetary gain. And that induces our current generation into a disappointing reality as at least half, if not more of that percentage, won't ever get more than a few hundred subscribers or followers and perhaps never have having that ping appear in the inbox informing them that we really like you, your face, and you are going to be a major influencer and with it the world and all your earthly wants and desires of this ever unreal world we are living within. Is it about being liked, really? Is it about making a change by actual vantage and opinion in place of idealism and thought? Or is it all cosmetic? I'll let you decide. I know my answer. A lot of our current generation seem to want to seek or delude themselves into delving, evolving and becoming bound and pitted and within the prism and contained verse, the toxic detrimental unreality that is the online realm, the evil distraction, the evil obsession. We are all guilty, I myself, of falling into the obsessive thoughts, the ever reeling off of what this person, that person, that stranger, this stranger may look upon you as or liken you to or think of you and what you have offered onto your damn social media spot. Oh, social media and it's ever-changing self-deforming and mutating self. Oh, it's all for the worse. Is it a marked spot to one day acknowledge and look back in anger to? A warped culture and status quo of success? Well, we already are. A lot of experimentalists and artists, satirists, journalists are already and most often always talking about this generation's obsession with social media and the faux reality offered to them in glitz and glamorama, aesthetical pleasing. Yet is it bundle? It's unhealthy and it's having an adverse effect on writers, novelists and creative talents, especially us little guys, the experimentalists. These younglings and their want and so-called aspirations, fast purpose and goal are so ugly and blatant. I grew up wanting to tell stories, make films, capture things, write about things. Well, no, 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 not firstly, I wanted to be a Jedi, not an online phenomenon. Innocence is lost, but within... But without this, these moments, these crests and idiotic unveilings within our vast and multivariant of medias, we won't have content to pick apart, to pick upon and pry on and mock and elocute and expose in all its ugliness. It is a kind of self-fulfilling cycle where we feed off this stuff that is a detriment to our evolution as artists and our future generations' minds and futures. Whereas one day it may, I highly doubt it, but it may, just may fizzle out and there will be our books, the experimentalist books the real underground authors, subjecting the future readers to that of which we suffered, had perpetuated that of which motivated millions of writers to write out of emotion and a feeling of injustice, whereas our pieces finally have a readership scouting out our stuff. I know this is true of a lot of us experimentalists, that we are discovered after the fact, when years have passed, and with the years where we see things societally and worldwide have altered, and our books are studied, mocked, laughed at, or just given even a wee bit room, and may have a small sector of appreciation offered onto it, due to the truth and fact that we documented what we as a society were going through, and we were ones isolating it, mocking it, adding and subtracting within and around it. 
It's kind of a self-fulfilled prophecy, thus leading into a societally birthed legacy led by culture and eras and alterations to moods and temperaments. But it still doesn't take away the fact that our studies, our views, our valuations and stories born of this fucked up world shouldn't be appreciated in the moment of this great wave of hypermania and hypersensorium. Unhappiness is found in true creative expression outside of wanting to appease a bunch of strangers, all with the same aspirations. <coughs> Delusions. That is to be... Famous for your silly escapades, makeup skills, hair curling, your capacity to make yourself look like a twonk. It's all a revelation and exposure and infatuation, the ever-building succession of self and inspiration born from cosmetic faux pas externalizations, circulated by people earning far too much money for not a lot. These people are taking up our spots where there should be a space that is left there for us, that hopefully and could be ever widening for writers and true, and true experimentalists to take their much deserved seat in between this author or that author's books on the mainstream shelving found at perhaps Waterstones, Barnes and Nogles or WH Smiths. I know there is room, that of which I will get to later in this segment. There is also room for acceptance and time, patience and potential for readers to discover this innovative, daring, purposeful, meaningful, baroque, abstract, surreal, absurd, satirical, perspective-altering, warping of words, worlds and structures. Experimental art in particular, experimental literature and fiction in this case, is misunderstood and that is fine by me. It adds something to it, laying on top of the already callous, scarified surface. It means it has a density and an ever-strengthening place in culture. Experimental fiction in of itself and its history, its legacy, its meaning to many or a few, the culture in and around and pitted within it, it will continually be amassing into something broader, perhaps even greater. A lot of people assume experimentalism is for only a fair few. Experimentalism isn't. I believe the great experimentalists are those with too much to say, too many demons, too many afflictions, too many thoughts. I believe people with an already disassociated relationship with the world around us or who suffer from mental illnesses and invisible illnesses and generally within the neural diversity sector of living and creating are those who truly contribute beautifully and masterfully to becoming great experimentalists, especially in literature, offering nothing but a great fallout between reader and literature itself. Experimental fiction can come as a macro micro short story, as a piece of long form art. It can be long short, it can even be a blank page. But it's what we know or do not know that surrounds it, depending upon our history or knowledge of the artist in question of whom is offering it to us to interpret and dissect. Experimenting can be easily implemented, but I'm speaking solely on an artistic form, not changing a sex position, unless said sex position is part of a performance piece, then I will have something to say upon it, most definitely, whether it is, an, whether it is a collage, a mosaic of emotion, of multi-applied material mediums in the illustratory realms, as a novel, as a huge plot of muck, art, experimentation, it's always up for critique and interpretation. For me, when talking about experimentalism, mine has solely focused upon writing. Only recently have I been experimenting with digital media, with short films, footage misappropriation, collage by digital manipulation through hurried season using editorial evasive cuts to my videos. And also for my next novel, I have applied my hand at lo-fi mediums and systems to play and craft and evoke these much, much, these much mocked and scoffed at old hat glitchy pieces of shit processes by really pushing, working around it, working with it with my digital collage, my manipulation of not just image, but also perception, whereby me using it and crafting something with gusto and passion and intent, I'm imbuing the piece of hardware, whatever you call it, such as paint on a Microsoft-ran laptop or computer, with a new sense of accomplishment, reinstalling perhaps a better appreciation of what it can still offer. But my main experimental platform, my home, is within, within manipulating literature, not just with prose, but by the physical book in question, the formation, the structure, the textuality. And this is where a lot of people get confused up on the powers of experimentation within literary realms. An experimental novel can be many things, a novel with no structure, a novel with purely illiterate writings, a novel that dips, swerves, plays with narration, POV, physical representation of the prose on the piece of paper bound into the book itself. It is vague. <laughs> up for the debate, up for interpretation, most uniformly misinterpreted. Most times experimenting with literary tropes, rules, expectations of the form can make an author themselves completely change their whole perspective and writing. Their relationship with characters, narrative streaks, narrative threads dissolving. They're losing those preordained and fanciful and, in my opinion, boring senses of place, whether in a scene, a segment of dialogue to offer exposition, and specifically where the narrative and all its oh-so-bloody wondrous arcs can go. Experimenting with prose is hard, especially if you are defined by the ungovernable law of prose. When writing, it is all dictated in many a mariatical way about reaching out, creating a semblance of reality and feeling of connection and justification in the steps and actions these characters will take. 
it's often about emotion and a lot of riders writers how even us experimentalists know the prose the story the feeling tendrilic spurt stains and the voice or non-voices those auroras those intrusive all-encompassing mental and physical takeovers that seem to trickle into our deeper selves almost by a higher power a great celestial power often lured on out with experimental writing and we do allow it to dictate as it dictates to you very much so it speaks to you not vice versa and if the dictation is predicated upon those heavily molecularly imbued rules of sophistication of conforming of all those things you are told at school what to do and definitely oh oh mr ferguson oh zach that makes no sense what not to do it's obvious and lacking that certain spice of life because it is uniform it's part of the same tapestry that has come before, adding nothing to it but a different perspective, but a different perspective in a wholly unambiguous, tiresome, well-trodden way. A perspective you are told to look upon in literature and how to write as gospel. It is all fucking nonsense. Here we come to the final piece that I'm going to share. The strip light equals aesthetic vibe. The great feeling of receiving that light of inspiration. When experimenting with prose truly kicks off for you, whether published or not, you get a chance of being rebellious. A feeling of being a wee bit naughty, perhaps even creating a whole new avenue of contemplation, most often within your own boring self. And you're often left reeling yourself in. Do not do that! Go with it. If it feels tempered, angered, and if so, ever so suppressed, fight through it like any form of self-nullification that takes place during a creative moment in your life. Almost scared of what will, or almost scared of what you will create and whether it will fit within the parameters of what has been stupidly ingrained into you from a young age. There is this moment of as cliché, cliché as droll, as simplistic as it sounds, but we all have it. Whether towards creative, sonorous endeavours, whilst writing, filming, editing, illustrating, fucking finding a way around a DIY issue, having a light bulb go off boom which is something we all experience at least once or a million times in our life that feeling of pseudo clarity a way out of a certain predicament mostly bowled over and snowballed by human emotion snowballed snowballed ever so much interaction relationship with the subject in question all except it isn't any singular cartoon clip art styled light bulb nope no no no, no, it is a heady, strong LED strip light. Not just one, but many hundreds, vastly in multitudes of glare and sterile intrusion stretching off in the far reaches of yourself, urging you to discover, to dim them, to study them. An intrusion, but one that's more of an appeal and a violation of your conscious self. The strip light singularly offering you a chance to go deeper. And not to neglect that lone light bulb that source can be smashed or switched off. Though the singular light bulb most often is a dimming, flickering, guttering potentiality. Almost always lost to self-preservation. Or the delusion of self-preservation and acclimatisation to certain social or subjective experiences. See them going off into the vaults of your inner self. Consciousness powering, not muddying or submerging, into the subconscious thought stream. These strip lights being a variant of sources, culminating as a whole, offering a variation, but still wholly together, and there for you to turn off, on, on, off, if and when you feel it is necessary, compared to that singular bow where it's left swaying, but its moat-covered cord with its damn flickering, dimming, ever so slyly, slyly and slowly dying self. Because you're not paying attention to it, because the laws and rules of literature and writing are telling you to neglect it. Or the rules garnered by the education system, or by fathers, grandfathers, mothers, grandmothers, wisdom and guidance, the inevitable ingrained supposed truth and right way to do something, heavily lined into your own genome, fuss and passing again a self-perpetuating schism of thought and processes. That's overall redundant to us and our own future offspring, and how to best circumnavigate around the issue that has thus somehow inspired a light bulb moment. Bing! General inspiration is encouraged by experimenting with prose, grammar, formation, typography, and the correlation between yourself, your emotions, and all the various avenues of contemplation and execution, offered with the power of the written word and how it is stapled, proffered, offered, and pushed out to you and the reader themselves. Nicola Barker, out of the glaring, alien, yet familiar light, whose words, whose form, in some mystified quantity and projection, becomes very much like an ethereal presence. A figure born and associated with these strip light bulb moments, perhaps having experienced them herself only recently, and of whom is somebody at this current moment so a part of the intertextual material, she's the gatekeeper to this process. Nicola Barker. Nicola Barkett is a perfect example of a writer having truly breached the fresh show to what may already be slightly, lightly hinted at and touched upon with tentative but still balletic and creative toes in her early works. 
I have seen, experienced, and feel ever so fucking adoration of her for this. This writer in question leaves me breathless, in love with her obvious processes, her over-aesthetical and intertextual qualities in her characters. Her prose is often Tourette-like, abrupt, joking, evasive, invasive, abusive to the narrative flow, and it culminates and correlates together so masterfully. Now I wish to thank you, of whom have been with me for this. Um, it, is, it is still in the process of being written, rewritten, remanaged, reordered. But I think this book is perhaps so far my favourite of anything that I have crafted. This is in of itself experimental non-fiction in the way I carry it across with my prose, with my language, with my... With myself, this is fully and wholly me, and it doesn't just touch upon experimental fiction, it also touches upon my relationship with fiction, where it started, my interrelationship with literature, and literature that basically made me. But I wish to thank you, and if anyone's interested in art is autism, keep your eye out. Do keep your eye out, because it may be released later next year. I don't know whether by myself, I'm hoping that in discussion with a potential publisher who wants to start up his own press, is interested in taking this and showing it onto the world. He has great ideas for the cover uh, and how best to push it out. And I'm just emboldened by this process. I really enjoy writing non-fiction, almost opinion pieces. But a lot of my opinion pieces come from my experience, not because I want to be sectored or viewed as someone different or someone resonant or strident and rein reinforced by being an opinionated arsehole. This is just the, the whole truth as it comes from me with my interrelationship with literature and specifically writing experimental literature. So I wish to thank all of you of whom have been with me. Uh, for 10 episodes in, it means so much. Uh, hit that subscribe button, leave a review if you feel inclined. Support the show by buying an Articulate Warbling t-shirt. They're very good. It helps the show. It continues the show. enables us to go out there if anyone's interested in um, supporting us. And for promotion, get hold of us uh, through Articulate Warbling and Facebook page or People's Guide to Cthulhu Mythos, which is uh, part of Badger Strip Studios. It's all correlated and together. And I wish to thank DB Spitzer for giving me this opportunity and for you for being uh, my listeners and for listening to me warble on for 10 episodes in. Next week will be a special episode where I review experimental art pieces by the likes of Christopher Nosnibor, Chuck Hart, talking upon the works of Dostoevsky Wannabe, The Publication House specifically their imprint Dostoevsky experiment and the writers that they've published um thank you very much and that is all I have time for for episode 10 art is autism if you wish to reach out and communicate with me do so slip into my dms not my dot martins they're probably too big for you anyway also I don't have the money to afford a pair of dot martins but slip into those direct messages on Facebook or Twitter. I'm under Sweat Drenched Writer on Twitter, on Instagram, where I post pieces of uh, imagery, sometimes short experimental pieces. But I bid you adieu. It's not a rant, it's. Articulate Warbling with Zach Ferguson, written by Zach Ferguson, produced and edited by D.B. Spitzer, recorded at Badger Strip Studios in glorious Portland, Oregon. Zach's part is, of course, recorded in Brighton, England. Want to help the show? Go to pgttcm.com. Check out what we've got. Go to Zach's shop uh, on in, in the show notes. Go to Zach's Instagram in the show notes. Find out how to help him out. And of course, Ashton Manor, Darkest Child by Kevin McLeod. So thank you so much and join us next time.